Are you a service-based business owner looking to increase profits to fund your lifestyle? Well, this podcast is for you. We bring you inspirational guests sharing actionable tips to solve many of the struggles you face each and every day. And now, over to your host, Paul Higgins. Welcome to the Build, Live, Give podcast. If you're a first-time listener and you love what you hear, please subscribe. If you're a regular, I really appreciate your feedback and continue to give it to me. So today's guest is someone who is a serial entrepreneur. He's actually written five best-selling Amazon books and he's about to have the next one. Uh, Well, it's actually on Amazon. You can get it now, but it's fast approaching a bestseller. So he's uh, very prolific with his book writing, but he's also prolific around the idea of marketing, in particular compound marketing. He's got some brilliant ideas in this podcast and I know you're going to get enormous value out of it. So what I'll do now is hand you over to Dan Norris from dannorris.me and also blackhobs.com.au. Welcome Dan Norris from Black Hobbs to the Build Live Give podcast. Dan, great to have you on board. Thanks for having me. Yeah, well, look, uh, I've sort of followed your journey for a while. I know we were both in James Shrampo's group, uh, Superfast Business and Silver Circle, and I've sort of followed your path and you know, I always remember a fantastic presentation you gave on everything you shouldn't do in business for seven years, and then you said <laughs> this is what you should do, which turned out on a nice exit that I mentioned in the intro to GoDaddy. But today I really want to focus on this compound marketing concept you've got. I know you've recently launched a book last year and uh, really love to learn about that. So, you know, let's just kick off with what's compound marketing to you. Yeah, well, I guess it it came out of just kind of reflecting on businesses I'd had and the way I'd built those businesses kind of blindly at the time, just kind of writing blog posts, investing in the brand, building a community around what I was doing. These things that I'd, and telling my story as well, that ultimately ended up in a good outcome, like you said before, with the sale. But at the time, I didn't really realize I was doing it. I was just kind of doing a form of marketing that I thought was fun and you know, I thought I was reasonably good at in terms of writing blog posts and whatnot. Um, and after the experience selling the business and then building this new business with the brewery, uh, I just kind of reflected on, you know, what were the components of what I was doing that were kind of unique yeah. um, and came up with, you know, content, community, brand and story. And those were the things that I'd basically done in all of my businesses to build a business without spending money on paid advertising or, um, you know, to potentially build up a core marketing engine that didn't require spending money. Therefore, when you did do uh, paid advertising spend, it was, you know, it wasn't all that we were doing and it was a lot more effective because you're not just doing it all the time, Um, which is more kind of where I'm getting to now with our business where we are doing a little bit of paid marketing, but it's kind of, good for us because we've got most of our marketing coming through free channels and, you know, we're not saturating people with paid channels. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And and had you been burnt by paid before or you just knew that organic, the longer term, was the, the right way to go? Uh, There's quite a bit about uh, content and building a brand and telling a story that I resonate with. I just like the idea. I like the idea of doing content that's useful for people, Um I think it's smart to build your brand as opposed to trying to flog a bad brand. It just doesn't make sense to me. So I think um, 
and community. Every business I've had has always had like a good community around it, kind of getting people behind what you're doing. Um, all of that just seemed logical to me and, and paid advertising just seemed like really difficult, uh, really hard to get any kind of ROI. It wasn't something I was particularly good at. Um, and yes, burnt for sure for years and years, tried lots and lots of different options for marketing and never really got anywhere with it. Just found most of it was a waste of time and money. Um, and, you know, I kind of felt that if you're going to do some kind of paid marketing, you're almost better just to pick one and be really good at it. And I just wasn't really particularly good at any of those things. Yeah. Um, so I had to find another way to, to market a business that didn't involve doing, you know, Facebook ads and um, Google ads. Yeah, look, I've got to say that resonates with me and been burned as well. And in 2019, I sort of got out of my transplant and I was like, okay, time to market my business. And uh, lucky for me, LinkedIn sort of came along. Not that it hadn't been around a lot, but there was a lot of benefit of organic still on, on LinkedIn and that really played to me, which was, you know, great content and then the crowds or the people will come. But Yeah, you- I think for me it probably went back to Google, the early days of kind of SEO where – I, this is well before WP Curve and Black Ops. I had just a website agency and I had a website that used to rank on the front page of Google for keywords like website design and web design and keywords like that. And I just used to look at how much companies would pay for those keywords. I don't know how much it is now. It's probably a lot. But back then it was about $5 per click. And I was getting all this free traffic just from ranking naturally and organically just from this website that ranked well that wasn't costing me a cent. And to me, that just seemed like so much better than competing literally, you know, to the dollar with other people. Like who can pay more is, is whoever gets this traffic. Just seemed like a really bad way to go about things, especially when, you know, my offering was reasonably low price. So I couldn't spend $5 for every single click on my website. Like that's crazy. Yeah. So, I, yeah, I, from that point on, I was sort of like, well, how do I get natural, organic, you know, qualified sort of people to pay attention to what I'm doing as opposed to just throwing money at something and hoping you can outbid your competition. Yeah, yeah, look, that's good. And, you know, I know a lot of, you know, I work with a lot of service-based business owners, you know, consultants, uh, tech resellers, outsourcers, et cetera, and they really get confused by SEO. And I've got to admit, I sort of sit in that bucket as well. You know, given all your expertise, what tips have you got for someone listening like me that, yeah, sort of don't know whether they should be in and out of SEO and find it all a bit confusing. To be honest, my advice hasn't changed in, I don't know how, how long ago, a number of years ago, I wrote a, a blog post on WP Curve, which is not there anymore. I don't think any of that content is live anymore, but it was something like the guide to content-driven SEO. And it was basically just saying, optimize, set up your blog so the pages are optimized, which is super easy. That's like a one-off job that anyone can do. And then just put out good content. And that's what I did. That's all I've done since. I haven't done any kind of any activity that you would call SEO in many, many years for all kinds of keywords. We outrank every brewery for lots and lots of different terms because we're one of the only breweries that are putting out valuable content. And it was the same with the WordPress support side of things. We're ranking for all kinds of keywords just from putting out good content and you know, that's been my advice for five plus years or more. I can't remember how many years ago that was. And that just remains the same. I think the whole thing is just a massive distraction, waste of time, unless you're really particularly good at it, which some people are. Yes. Um, it's just a money pit and a waste of time and, and a worthless exercise that's only just wasting your time and other people's time. I much prefer the idea of, you know, creating a lot of useful content around these topics and then, 
you know, worst case, it doesn't send you any leads, but it does help other people, yes. which is great. And then, you know, it's also going to elevate your brand if you are helping other people because it's kind of adding into the karma of it all. It's not the kind of marketing you learn about at marketing school. Having been to marketing school, I know that. Yeah. But that's my preferred way to, to market a business and it's been very effective for me. And, you know, you talk about good content. So, you know, has that changed as far as, you know, with video obviously becoming a lot more predominant than what it was, you know, when you are in WP Curve, et cetera, what, what have you seen change around what good is now versus what it was then? It certainly changed a lot. I mean, I still don't do really much at all with video. Didn't then and I don't now. You know, we kind of stick to what we're good at. But if you look at, yeah, look at the way people's attention is now with social media and these reels and, you know, the clubhouse, the Twitter spaces, all of that kind of stuff. It's just everything is changing massively. But the concept's still kind of the same. There's like a whole bunch of people that probably want this information or this story or whatever, and you give it to them in whatever way that meets the best balance between what they want and what you're good at producing. So, you know, I've never been particularly good at video. We don't do a lot of video, but we do podcasts. We do written blog posts. We do social media posts. We do emails. And, you know, all of those are pretty old school. They've been the same for quite a while, well before we started this business. Um, And all are still very effective for me. Um, I think the people who are really good at video are doing really well now, which is great because it's a real skill. Um, But, you know, I still don't believe that you should be doing a whole bunch of different things just because it's popular, you know, if you're not good at them or, or if you can't get good at them or don't want to. I've always had the belief that you do you know, what you find rewarding personally, otherwise you're probably not going to be good at it and and what you are good at. And hopefully those two things line up or there is like a bit of an intersection where they line up. Yeah, and I think you said it beautifully before, it's got to be useful content, right? I think so many people get caught in the platform, they forget how useful the content is. So I think it doesn't really matter. We all, you know, yes, we've got a preferred medium, but we'll take content from any platform or any source as long as it's good, right? As long as it gets you it's useful and it gets you a result. So I think that's the key. And, you know, you talked about, you know, there's sort of four parts to your uh, book, but first one is brand. And I know you're huge on design and the importance of design. What, why is that the case? Why do you think design is so critical in a, in a brand, whether it's your personal brand or whether it's, you know, for you, Black Hobbs with uh, your beer brand? I just think it's really low-hanging fruit. Like I just think most entrepreneurs aren't good at it. They don't really understand it. They don't value it. And in everything that I've done in markets that are really competitive the brand ends up being the thing that is the difference between someone choosing you or not choosing you or someone paying a lot more you know than they otherwise would and to me it's a really really good opportunity for entrepreneurs because most people will just like put logos on facebook and ask for people's feedback or just get some local designer to design something and sign off whatever they do and um that's not how it works here like i'm intimately involved in every single branding decision we use really good designers for things if we don't think we can do it well we, we won't do it at all and we put an enormous like spent a huge amount of my time designing beer cans and limited releases and god knows what else because that's ultimately people are buying into the brand and it's super important and yeah i think if it's like in our industry it's super competitive and you could say the same thing about wordpress support with my old business like it started getting really really competitive and we had to have the best offering, the best looking website, the best brand, the most trustworthy company. Otherwise, it wouldn't have worked because there were so many other people doing the same thing. Yes. And what I'm doing at the moment is exactly the same. Like our product 
it costs a lot to make. It's expensive. There's 700 other craft breweries in Australia that people can choose from. You know, when you go to a bottle shop, you see shelves after shelves after shelves with thousands of cans on them. It's super competitive and you need to have good design. It's just a no-brainer. And the good thing to me, I think, is that most companies don't have good design and it's a really good opportunity for entrepreneurs. Yeah, look, I totally agree. And, you know, my background's Coca-Cola. So, you know, you're talking to the the uh, converted here and, you know, and the amount of research that the Coke company did and and how they went about their branding, you know, to the degree that if anyone ever missed the hyphen in Coca-Cola, you know, it was like World War Three for, yeah. for a customer, like how dare they miss the hyphen? And I'm like, most people call it Coke, right? But they had guidelines. They had very specific um, it was like a uh, you know a DNA of each brand, and you had to follow that. So I, I yeah. agree with that. And you know, it's no difference to coaches and consultants, like you said. First impressions they really count. And you know, there's lots of us out here. There's lots of service providers. How are you going to stand out? And I think brand is key. And and you you know, one of the sub chapters in your book is you know to avoid the brand killers. So what are they? What are the brand killers? Um, I think just to double back on the branding thing in terms of where I really started being interested in it, I think like in our world when we're kind of doing services or online businesses or whatnot, design isn't really something that people really care too much about. And I noticed that just following the startup world, all these startups that were starting in San Francisco, the Ubers and the Lyfts and Teslas, like all these kind of companies, I mean, they're the big examples, but even the smaller ones, like design was such an important thing for these companies. And you can see like almost always they'll have some kind of design person on the founding team or like in as part of the original group of people. It's really rare for these companies to just start and be like, oh, let's get a designer to outsource some work for that. Like that's not how they work. So I think that's worth considering because these are the companies that ultimately are the ones that become end up becoming the Coca-Colas and, and whatnot. Um, so if they're taking it seriously, it's probably a good sign. Brand killers, I don't know in terms of like listing off 50 different things, but I just think that the number one thing is care about the brand. I think, you know, doing anything that distracts from people liking something I think is not good. You know, like I think excessive pop-ups on websites and just excessively asking for things, excessive paid promotion I think is actually can detract from your brand as well because you kind of, if you go into a, social media, say you go onto Facebook and just constantly seeing ads for a particular company. It's just constantly spamming you. It's kind of like, I think this is actually detracting from the brand. I don't think it's actually helping. And I just, you know, like, I think in the book, I do talk about like, what, like, what is a brand? It is, is basically how people feel about what you offer. And you can kind of capture that in the way you design things. But ultimately, if you're doing things that give people negative feelings about what you do, then it's going to destroy your brand no matter what it looks like. Yeah, and it's all these touch points now. I think, you know, the key thing is every touch point, like you said, it could be an email, it could be whatever that is detracting from you. And, you know, you can often see people that are, you know, it's sporadic and they're, you know, they're testing lots of things, which is great, but often the things they're testing and some of the experts aren't in line with their brand. So that's why I think having that as the core the heart and then you go from there is really important and you know you talk about stories you know with some of the stories that you've been doing even in black hobs you know which are the stories that work better than others like is there any uh, tips you can give us around storytelling yeah i think well, i mean for us well for me the kind of the founding story of the business has always been the most powerful one so with wp curve it was this you know story of you mentioned you know seven years of failure i think you mentioned before the call 
I'd sort of started a business that had gone really badly. I'd been failing really badly and then everything went well. I turned it around and that kind of founding story with WP Curve was really powerful. With our current business, the same thing was true. It was a classic story of me with two mates sitting around a bar talking about brewing a beer. You know, we ended up doing it and that ended up becoming our brand and turning into, you know, one of the top craft breweries in the country. And that's just a cool story, you know, like that's, it's kind of the beer story. It's like blokes sitting around the pub talking about beer and then they build a brewery. So those have always been really powerful for me, but I I do in the book go through different options for stories because, you know, I don't think that's always going to be the way to go to tell your founding story, especially if, you know, like if someone else comes into the market now and has an exact same founding story as us, it's not going to be as powerful because we've told this story so many times. Or if their story just isn't as good isn't as genuine, then they'll have to think of something else. And there's lots of other options. We use um, customer stories quite a bit. So, you know, customers that come up with beer ideas where they can be the kind of hero of the whole thing, that's a bit of fun. And then product stories could be anything to do with a product that just is interesting in some way. It could be the founding story, the product that could be, you know, it serves a particular purpose. It, It could have been invented in some fun way. Those are the, probably the three big ones, the founding stories, customer stories, and, and product stories. Yeah, brilliant. And, you know, you talked about community. I know that's another key thing. You've, you know, always built a community. And like I said, we met each other through a community run by James. But, you know, tell us a little bit about some of the things you've learned by building communities across multiple things. You know, WP Curve, completely different industry to Black Hobbs. What are the similarities? What's the core that you can share? Yeah. Well, I mean, it's very powerful for our business because from day one, we were kind of sharing our story. We were getting other people behind what we're doing. We were really transparent with what we were doing, releasing recipes and, you know, financial information and all kinds of stuff. And that really built up a core group of people who aren't necessarily in a specific one location, although we do have that as well. But it's more that there's just a lot of people out there who have gotten behind what we're doing. And that could be people who come into the tap room, which is obviously a really obvious one. If you've got a bar, that's a community. But we've also got a Facebook group of our ambassadors, which is two and a half thousand people in there and super active. We've got 550 actual equity investors from doing equity crowdfunding. You know, email list of, I can't remember, 10,000 plus. I can't remember how many is on there. Uh, Facebook, social media communities. There's communities all around what we do. Email list is still really powerful. And it's been really powerful for us. So we have things like where, you know, people have to vote for the best brewery in the survey, that kind of stuff. And last year we were voted the number one in the country. And that's, we're definitely not the biggest in the country. We're far from it. But we do have a really engaged group of people who are behind what we're doing. And that's when it becomes really powerful because we've got all these advocates out there who can basically promote our business for us. And in return, we give them, you know, we, we involve them in what we're doing and, and it's a fun thing for them to be involved in a beer company as opposed to just kind of seeing a fake advertisement on TV and then building some kind of bond with the product. In this case, we'll go as far as brewing actual beers that are suggested by people in the community or collaborating with different groups in our community. And that's a level of involvement that people don't really have with companies. And, you know, it results in a whole lot of love for the brand and a really active group of people. Yeah, and look, look, I'm the same. So, you know, to me, you know, if you've got a services-based business and you want to scale it up, normally, you know, you take one-on-one to group. That's a pretty, you know, obvious one. But then, you know, normally you've got the pathway of community versus online courses. And 
for me personally, I love creating communities. I've got a, a large community where we help each other get leads through social selling. But I think, uh, you know, everyone's always turned the, or use the term, you know, you join for the product, but you stay for the community. I think that's, you know, so powerful. And was it sort of the chicken of the egg? Was it like you were always going to do that strategy or was it, you know, a clear point of difference versus your competitors? Because, I've, you know, I've been in their, their shoes and this is not something that they're typically very good at. Right. No, it was something we did from day one. It was, you know, it was very comfortable to me coming from that online world where this was very normal. You know, like back when I was doing it, I was doing income reports and sharing all of the information. I had a Facebook group with the online or the services businesses. That wasn't particularly new. A lot of people were doing it. A lot of startups, you know, Pat Flynn was doing his income reports. Yeah, John, um, Lee Bear, Dumas. John Lee Dumas, you know, started doing them after that. And then like Bear Metrics and the like had their kind of public dashboards and all of this trend was sort of happening in the online world. It just hadn't really translated to what we do. So to me, it was kind of natural. I mean, it's still, sometimes you do kind of, worry a little bit when you publish something that's so public that there could be a downside to doing that so it's not completely easy for me to ask that is there have you come across any downsides yeah there's downsides i think there's downsides in in anything that you do but to me it's reasonably natural to kind of take this approach and you know it was like that from day one but yeah there's definitely downsides like we've put some stuff put together some posts where we sort of thought, you know, like, should we like releasing recipes, for example, like we've put all of our recipes out there. We've given people the ability to brew them at home really makes the community really happy. We've got a core group of home brewers that love what we do, but you know, there of course is a downside to releasing your recipes because you know, anyone else can then make them. Yes. Um, so it's not always a hundred percent upside, but I've always had the approach that this is generally a good approach to building a brand and building a good bit of love for what you do and ultimately that is going to be a good thing and i've always thought you know it's a little bit of risk but the benefit outweighs the cost and if you don't have that mindset it's really not going to work you know if you've got that kind of old school mindset where you keep everything close to your chest and you occasionally write a little bit of a blog post on something it's just it's not going to work you need to go all in yeah and, and i know that you sort of talk about you know bend the rules is one of the key components to building community. Is that an example where, you know, most companies would never release their ingredients, but you have because you're bending, the, you know, the rules of the, the industry. Is that an example of what you mean by bending the rules? I think the bend the rules example was more sort of like, you know, if, if you have everything really rigid, like if you have like a, a set community with really rigid set rules, it, it feels a bit too structured and a bit too artificial. Yeah. Whereas if you kind of occasionally... Now, if you occasionally dip into the community and do something random, then it feels more genuine because it is. You know, sometimes I will just feel like going into the group and you know, giving away some hats or something, you know, and people really like that. Yes. And because it's a genuine thing, it's like I feel like, you know, doing something that's going to be fun for the group. And it's not all just based around rules and not all for the purpose of, of marketing. It's, you know, genuinely I care about the people in the group and want to do something for them. So sometimes I bend the rules. Um, and I think that just makes the whole thing a little bit more genuine. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I know, you know, once again, it's sort of, it seems like a lot of, well, what I know of you, your personality is really coming out in the company and, and the brands versus, you know, what the clients need. Like, you know, is it fortuitous that the two match or, you know, did you come with you and the brand attributes first and then the consumer? I'm just interested in the way that that's worked or is it just works, you know, serendipitously? If I could say that word. Um, I, I mean, I 
you know, I mean, I started the business. So, you know, we, we started it with this in mind. You know, we, we kind of sat around with Eddie and Gus and just said, like, this is what we're doing. Do you guys mind if I write all these blog posts and release all this information? They were always on board with the idea. It wasn't like I was fighting them for the whole time. So it was just the way we did things from day one. And, you know, I thought, always thought it would be helpful for other people to read some of this content and be part of the journey. But I also knew it was marketing yes. and it's worked very well for us. I don't know if you'd call it serendipitous because, you know, I'd done it before. It is marketing, but yeah, and it is kind of my personality coming out to some extent, but it's also been an approach that the other founders had were very comfortable with as well. I think if you were starting a business that was all going into a business that is much more traditional and, you know, these the other guys have worked in some of these businesses that are way more traditional with their marketing, yes. would never do any of this stuff. And that's really difficult. That's going to be hard to turn around. But when the three founders are all in, then it's it's easy. Yeah, great. And look, I know we talked a lot about useful content at the start, but just the last question on this is, you know, around podcasts, obviously, you know, I've put out, I think you're about 280 um, episode number now. but Well, I feel way less special now, but that's that's a lot of episodes. <laughs> I always save the best to last, right? You're the, you're the last person I've interviewed. So how, yeah, that's true. How's that? <laughs> that's uh, good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, what's your view on podcasting and how that, you know, whether it's a service business or like you've got a, you know, a physical product business, where do you see podcasting fitting into the overall marketing mix? Yeah, well, I was going to say before when you said about being useful, I think there's you know, the content doesn't have to be useful. It Being useful can work well, but being entertaining sometimes and just kind of engaging and relevant is sometimes just as good, if not better. And like in our case, we will do the occasional blog post on, you know, how to get the right water chemistry for your brews, which is, that's an example of something that's useful. It's useful to a very small group of people because most of our customers don't brew their own beer. But the small group that do, this is extremely useful. But to be honest, like if we were to go through all of our content that we've done, especially on social media and what went really well, it's not always the useful stuff. And from my own personal preference, when I listen to podcasts, I often don't, and I've been saying this for years, and I think it's really starting to become obvious now that podcasts very much, in a lot of cases, are very much about entertainment. And, they're, you know, you're competing now with like when you open your phone, you've got Netflix and Amazon and Spotify and the podcast app and all of these different things that you're competing with, just all the social media apps. To me, it's got to be more than just providing something useful. And if you're podcasting on a topic, providing useful stuff, especially if it's just you doing it and you're not interviewing someone else, it's probably going to be really boring. Yeah. So like when I'll give you a very specific example. As long as it's I, not my podcast, that's fine. <laughs> yeah. Well, I mean, like, as I say, like sometimes being useful is good, but you do interviews. So to me, I would much rather listen to an interview even if it's not particularly useful, it might just be inspiring. It might be, you know, this one might be useful for someone. Maybe it's just inspiring for someone who wants to build a brewery with their mates. Yeah. But, you know, like the, the podcasts I listen to are very much evolving now. Like it used to be very much around what's useful interview podcasts and that was basically it. But now when I look at my podcasts, the ones I'm really into are all pretty entertaining in their own way. So to give a business example, Jason Calacanis does This Week in Startups. That's a podcast I've been listening to for as long as I've been listening to podcasts. It's always been one of my favorite podcasts. And he does another one now called the All In Podcast, which is him and four or five of his best friends basically arguing the whole time about stuff. And I listen to way more of that one than I do This Week in Startups because This Week in Startups now it's more traditional interviews. 
The other one is all useful content, but it's also got a fair bit of drama. You know, they're arguing a lot of the time. It's kind of fun. It's funny. And that gets the edge for me. I would rather listen to that than the, the plain interviews. So I think don't get too caught up in being useful, especially on mediums like podcasting and social media where people want to be entertained. If you can do both, then that's great. If you can do some element of entertainment and education, and that's the podcast I tend to like. So the All In's a good example. When I think about it, I listen to Pivot, which is Kara Swisher and Scott Galloway, and I listen to J. Cal, and those guys both hate each other. But they're talking about the same stuff. You know, like there's so many podcasts talking about startups like why do I listen to them? Really, because I find them both entertaining. I find Jake Allen entertaining. I find Scott seems pretty batshit crazy, but he's funny. Yes. And it's a good way to get your education if you can get it with entertainment at the same time. So that's something to think about. I, I sort of started thinking about that when that uh, startup podcast came out by Gimlet and they started doing the real sort of documentary style yes. stuff. And I'm listening to one now. It's an Australian financial review one and – that kind of stuff is really going well now. And I think that's the future of these mediums and social media as well because it's like, you know, it's really hard to get people's attention now. Yeah, yeah, definitely, definitely. Well, look, uh, we're talking to Dan Norris and you can find out more at dannorris.me. But before we go into the live section with Dan, I'd like to talk to you about if you've got the sales machine to meet or exceed your ambitions i've got a quick assessment it's 14 questions three minutes and at the end you get the opportunity to actually jump on a call and it's not a bs sales call it's actually where i'll go through the gap analysis of what you've got versus what you need as far as your sales machine and give you some very specific advice so just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash assessment. So Dan, the live section. So what are some daily habits that you do every day to help you be successful? <laughs> Other than testing beer, of course. Yeah, testing beer. Um, to be honest, I don't really have like a routine daily habits thing. I have a pretty pretty good life. Like, you know, I get up, I get a coffee, I go down the beach, yep. come into work, do my work. I don't really believe in set habits. I just, if you can have some sort of balance, that's good. If I do what I love every day, so I'm way ahead of 99% of people in that regard. You know, if you can do that, then that's good for me. Yep. The next is the give section. So what's a charity or a community that um, you're passionate about and why? That's a good one. I wasn't really prepared for this one. We do, I probably don't really have a specific one, but we have a community program where every month we do something for a different group and we're sort of doing that a little bit more than monthly now, but we because Black Ops has a military connotation, we do a little bit with military organisations, return veterans and that kind of thing. We do a little bit with sort of mental health organisations, Beyond Blue and places like that. What we normally do is, and it's probably not relevant for this section, but we have like a staff beer and that staff chooses their own charity to do like a karma keg where we donate all the profits to that charity. But yeah, I don't think we have it. We don't really have a specific one that, that we choose, but we just do a whole bunch of different ones, generally around mental health, veterans, and yeah, that they're probably the two main categories. Yeah, great. And the last section is the rapid fire section. I'll ask you a question, get a rapid fire response. So the first one of what are your top three personal effectiveness tips? Personal, okay. Well, number one is delegate, because if I have to do it myself, it's probably not gonna happen very quickly. <laughs> get a good team and delegate. Like I said before, doing what you love, you know, that's if I wasn't doing what I loved, I would not be effective at all. And people may not think of it that way, but it's just really hard 
to be effective at something you don't love doing. So if you can figure out a way of doing something that you really enjoy, delegating the rest, um, that's going to put you a, a lot more effective than the average person. Um, I think be, be flexible as well. That's probably the third one. Just I'm pretty flexible in where I work and how I work. Yeah. Um, I've never really thought coming in and working nine to five was very easy for me. I kind of struggle to concentrate for that amount of time in the one space. So I tend to work late at night on some things, um, you know, during the day as well. Just be flexible with where I work, when I work. Guard my time really. That's probably fourth thing is just guard my time really carefully. I don't don't accept meetings. I don't do many podcast interviews. I, I don't very rarely have anything on my calendar um, and just don't give up my time too easily. That was four, but yeah. yeah no, that's fine. <laughs> Four is better than two. So as far as uh, tech, you know, what's a piece of technology that's pretty essential running your business? Slack would be the number one. But, um, yeah, we have like, – we did a blog post on this probably a year ago. We have so many different pieces of software to run this business. It would blow your mind. Um, yeah, Slack, Slack, you know, all day, every day. I've got – I think I've got over 70 channels in here. We've got 60-plus staff there's just so much that goes into that thing. Yeah, yeah, um, cool, cool. Yeah, you, that's probably my, number one. Your Slack is my Asana, but uh, same thing or similar thing. So, uh, the best source of new ideas for you? Oh, new ideas. Hmm. I don't know. I think we have like for beer ideas and branding ideas. You know, we have the good, the community, the groups in the community that give us ideas. Yeah. I tend to think of most of my ideas at night time. Um, quite often I'll think of them and then put them in a note or a task for the following day just to just so I'm not spamming my business partners on Slack at late at night, but also just to be like, well, you know, I get quite excited about things in the moment and I always just want to give myself 24 hours just to make sure it is good and not to overload people as well because we, our guys have got so much to work on. If I introduce something new, it's just another thing for them to work on. So normally... I don't struggle to come up with ideas. It's more about just filtering them, making sure they're really going to be worth spending time on and giving myself a kind of 24-hour or 12-hour period where I just make sure I am actually keen on it. Yeah, I used to think the exact same thing. So, you know, let's say I'd catch up with someone twice a week, right, in a quick uh, whip. I'd always have a list of things that I wanted to talk about and before it, so when I thought of it, I'd put it on there and when I then I'd review it prior to the meeting, you know, like three-quarters of them I'd get rid of. But yeah, so you didn't. Whereas my my last boss used to send two hundred emails a day. So one yeah. day, one day he said, "I've got something to do." I said, "Oh, that's cool." I said, "That's great. You want me to do something?" I said, "Can you just help me with one thing first, though?" And he said, "Oh, what's that?" I said, "Out of these," and I brought in. He goes, "What the hell's that?" I said, "They're the emails you sent me yesterday, right?" <laughs> this stack. I said, "Can you help me work out which one's more important? The one you're going to give me, or the two hundred that you've already sent me?" He goes, yeah. "Okay, you." Uh, I got your point. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, the last question is the big one. I always leave it to the end. But uh, what impact do you want to leave on the world? Yeah, I wasn't really prepared for that question. And to be honest, it, this is, again, not really something I ever think about. I always hear people thinking about that. I just don't really think about it that often, you know. Like I, I because I had so many years of kind of just not doing well at anything, like I'm just very grateful to have a good business provide for a lot of families, have a lot of fun in what I'm doing, you know, be a good parent. That's enough for me. I, I don't really think there's any impact that I will have after I'm around that I 
am concerned about at all. And I think, I don't know, maybe that's not the answer you want, but that's... No. But, I think well, I think the biggest thing for me is when I first met you, you know, you were basically talking about how you weren't having the impact you wanted, i.e., you know, my business wasn't, wasn't quite where you want it. Now it is, and you're continuing to grow. Like, I follow your success of Black Hops. You're doing a great job. You've got, you know, six books that people can get some really uh, entertaining and useful content. Let's put it that way. <laughs> and uh, there is the, the compound marketing that you can get on Amazon and you can also find out more of Dan at uh, Dan Norris with two R's, uh, dot me uh, online. But uh, Dan, wonderful having you on the show. I've followed your, your progress with uh, enjoyment and uh, look forward to doing more so in the future. Thanks, Dan. Awesome. Cheers, mate. Thanks for having me. I hope it was useful and maybe somewhat entertaining. <laughs> <laughs> it was. Cheers. Bye. Cheers. I really love that interview with Dan. He gives you some really rich insights. And, you know, I think out of his four pillars, there's a really logical way that you can compound your marketing. You know, really look at those, especially the design element. I think that was really critical. And I also liked his challenge to me about entertaining and useful information. I think that was really important. So you can find out more about Dan at dannorris.me and also you can get his book on Amazon, Compound Marketing, and also the other five that he's got there. And also you can go to blackhobs.com.au. It's a fantastic brew. If you're into craft beers, highly recommend it. And if you you know really love this interview, please take a photo and, you know, mention Dan Norris on his socials. He would love you for that. It's fully transcribed. You know, I'm sure you got your notes, but you can get all the transcription, all the links are there in the show notes. And also, if you want to know if you've got a sales machine that's going to meet your ambitions for your company, just go to paulhigginsmentoring.com forward slash assessment. Take action to build, live, and give. Thanks for listening to the Build, Live, Give podcast. If you like what you heard, please share it and leave us a review. It would mean the world to us.